Welcome back to AR Zone on the issue of intersectionality. Brief interviews ahead of the Pro Intersectionality Vegan Conference being held at VegFest London in October 2016. I'm AR Zone founder Carolyn Bailey, and I'm joined for these special podcasts by Christopher Sebastian. In today's episode, Sebastian and I would like to welcome our guest, Dr. Kate Stewart. Kate is a sociologist at Nottingham Trent University with an interest in cultural messages about our use of other animals, which she wrote about in her 2014 book with Matthew Cole, Our Children and Other Animals. Our Children and Other Animals describes the sociological importance of other animals in the lives of human children and vice versa, and reveals the interconnectedness of studies in childhood, culture and human-animal relations. As part of her academic role, she's interested in promoting diversity in scholarly reading lists where the works of white Western males remain disproportionately dominant. Kate, thanks for joining us today and welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kate. Hi. <laughs> Kate, could you please speak about where you and your work fit into the intersectionality issue? Yeah, sure. I think um, that there are two key areas uh, that really sit neatly with, I guess, where I have always located myself as a, as a feminist scholar. First of all, this idea that uh, ideas and actions are necessarily linked, that theory and praxis, thinking and doing are two parts of, of the same whole. And I think that's, that, that's the first feature that resonates particularly well for me with intersectionality. Uh, and the second is the recognition that systematic and oppressive processes are all linked together and combine to produce multiple and varied oppressive outcomes. So the same processes are at work and they result in many very different outcomes across many very different contexts, but there's a, there's a shared process going on uh, behind those. So I think those two characteristics really meant that, you know, as, as I sat with where I was with my feminism and with my veganism, that a pro-intersectional approach very much embraces those characteristics as well. And, and it broadens and enhances uh, that approach very much by specifically the insistence, the imperative that those marginalised voices are at the centre of that approach uh, to linking ideas and action and to recognising the outcomes of, of these systematic oppressive processes. So what we end up with then is, is this kind of framework approach which helps us both understand what's going on and find a way to take action uh, and to approach synergistically how to how to challenge these oppressive practices right across the spectrum rather than trying to take a disconnected specialist approach outcome by outcome if you like because when we recognize that all of these oppressive outcomes come from some sort of common structure and process we can join up our challenge to them when we recognize those joined up roots uh, if you like so as the outcomes are varied and differed the shared structural causes that we can kind of connect together in order to try and challenge uh, really so that's that's how i see how it fits with a whole range of of other interested interests that I would identify my work with, really. Dr. Kate, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, how do people receive your scholarship? Like, how do non-vegan people receive your scholarship when you're talking about these issues with them? Uh, I think actually surprisingly well, because when I think 
when you start to approach this on a more conceptual level of these connected oppressive structures and practices that there is an outcome level that most people can identify with so they can start to see uh, and make sense of the processes and the structures that you're explaining and then it becomes much easier to lead them to well here's another area of oppressive outcome that comes from that same process so it actually can you can build on that connectedness of the root causes of these oppressive outcomes because everybody has has a way in to to those uh, so actually surprisingly positive when i i have found it by being able to explain things in those terms so rather than trying to kind of uh travel them right the way around the wheel to a whole other set of oppressive outcomes with which they're not familiar first take them into the middle and take them out the spoke again uh, and that that I have found can can often be much more productive in terms of, of getting to that intellectual understanding of what's going on. You then have to, I think, uh, sort of trust the process that people will then come to their own decisions about what they do about those outcomes and how they present in their own lives, but that you can at least lead them a little bit closer by taking what perhaps might not be the most obviously direct route to it, but connects to areas that are familiar with them. Does that make sense? Definitely. <laughs> I like when that happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you speak about the concept of anthroparchy? And first of all, make sure that I'm pronouncing it correctly. But could you tell but, us about anthroparchy and explain how it highlights the issue of intersecting oppressions? First of all, being chiefly an academic, there's lots of words I write down that I really wouldn't have terribly much confidence in saying, yeah, that's pronounced right. Oh. <laughs> it sounds good to me. <laughs> so anthroparchy is a concept that uh, Matthew and I used uh, in the book quite a bit and it's from uh, the work of uh, Erica Cudworth who's Professor of Feminist Animal Studies uh, in London and I think the easiest way to think about anthroparchy is that anthroparchy is to speciesism what patriarchy is to sexism so it's the systems of attitudes and practices that lead to our domination the human domination of, of the natural world and the non-human uh, world as well so so they are those structural and systematic processes that result in the outcome of speciesism so anthroparchy refers to that process rather to, than to that outcome uh, and sits, sits in that similar sort of relationship. So again, it's a useful way when we as sociologists are trying to unpick practices and representations and behaviours, it's a useful way to frame that uh, and to frame our thinking about that rather than starting again at those outer edges of the outcomes and working our way back. It's looking at, well, what's built that, what has what has made those outcomes happen, uh, if you like. So we found it to be a really useful uh, concept in the work that we've done. Kate, when I read your intro, I mentioned that reading lists remain dominated by white Western men or the male stream, as it's called. Yeah. Um, does this impede the development of intersectionality in academia? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, again, it's it's about there, there are similar processes going on, churning out different outcomes of marginalisation. And what we do know, what we can absolutely see clearly when we start to look, look at it, is that the systematic marginalisation of the ideas, 
and the works of women thinkers and women scholars has happened throughout our, our kind of modern history of, of scholarly thought. So the thinkers, the theorists, the ideas, people that we recognise in all fields of scholarly work are still disproportionately white men. And that is absolutely categorically not because they're the people who are doing all the best uh, work. Um, it, of course it isn't. It's a product of the same systems and structures which, which cause uh, all of these other multiple oppressions as well. Um, systems and structures that privilege the already privileged. And that needs us to take action against it. It needs intervention to break the, the kind of the mechanics of those systems and structures, uh, if you like, that, that reprodu keep reproducing that that privilege. So we need to kind of challenge ourselves. And if you think that there isn't a woman or a person of colour who's written something which is as good or better on a topic that you're familiar with what all the white Western men have written about, first of all, you're not looking hard enough because, yes, absolutely they have. Secondly, mm. you're missing out on a whole wealth of really valuable work which is going to help us in our joint endeavours to try and challenge these uh, oppressions as well. And thirdly, you're making it, you're actively making it harder for those groups of scholars and writers and thinkers to continue uh, that work, to be able to find, uh, I suppose, the, the space or the purchase to be able to keep doing the work that will help us all, that will help us all in those uh, in our common goals. So in my role as an educator, I'm really starting to express explicitly what I can do about that. Now, that involves an awful lot of self-work. That involves an awful lot of me looking at my practices in the works that I'm familiar with and the works that I introduce others to. But it also means engaging and challenging others to say, well, well, are you thinking about this? And have you looked at the reading that you're suggesting or who, you know, whose ideas you are promoting on certain things? Um, because the easiest thing to do is to is to pick up the first things that you notice, to pick up the names that you're familiar with. And that just continues to reproduce that privilege of certain voices over others. So it's something that we need to recognise so that we're not wasting all of this brilliant work that has been done and that can help uh, in our collective endeavours. So it's an area of work that I'm really interested in, in, in focusing on uh, in both um, uh, kind of my more activist activities, but also in my academic activities through my work as an educator at university as well. Thanks, Kate. I think it's really important work and I'm really grateful that you're doing it. When you speak about this, I'm reminded of the structure of the mainstream animal rights movement. And I think I agree with what you said. I think that the first thing that we can do is is recognise that this is happening and recognise that we're supporting this by, I guess, by not, not thinking deeply enough about it and, and following habits. Do you have any advice for people in the mainstream animal rights movement in regard to no, you go. <laughs> um, I think I think when, when I mentioned the, the self-work that it requires I think that that can actually be more difficult than than you'd immediately think because we, we kind of naturally aren't terribly good at I guess shutting up and sitting down and listening <laughs> that in itself yeah. Is, is quite an important element of it. 
And then having shut up and sat down and listened, not just getting back up and going, well, they were great ideas. I'm just going to talk about those great new ideas that I've learned now. It's about continuing to say, well, these are the ideas of this person. These are the ideas of this group of thinkers. So I think whenever you find yourself in a position where you're looking at a relatively narrow range of uh, out, you know, outputs of writings of, of ideas, you need to start checking yourself and say, actually, I need to listen to different kinds of voices on this. And yes, it may be that they're resonating, that they're saying similar things. But the important thing is there is also something very important about saying, I need if they are the same ideas, I need to be hearing them from different places because they are going to differ in important ways on, on crucial points of uh, how those ideas impact uh, on people, what the what the lived outcomes of those ideas are as well. So it's a lot of self-work, just sort of checking, am I listening enough and am I continuing to listen enough? And it sounds easy enough, but actually we kind of, because we're passionate about what we do and we're passionate about the messages that we want people to hear, the temptation to always speak when there is the opportunity to speak is really quite difficult to resist and being able to say I need to be quiet and find another voice can actually be quite uh, a challenging process, especially when there are plenty of other privileged voices who will be more than happy to jump into that silence, even if you're trying to make space for marginalised voices. Mm -hmm. um, so navigating that can be a little bit tricky. But I think just recognising that it's it's something that we need to try and make progress with is the first thing uh, is the first thing step towards doing that. Yeah, I agree. Great. Yeah, I agree. Great. Kate, I'd like to thank you very sincerely for spending your time with us today. I'd also like to take this opportunity to thank you for everything that you continue to do on behalf of both humans and other animals. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it ever so much. You're very welcome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> We're all holding our breath right now. No member of the animal kingdom. This is past maturity. No member of the animal kingdom ever did a thing to me. Why don't we bring me to